Hi everyone and welcome to our new In The Trunk podcast series with me, Mike Lightfoot. In our first episode, we're going to tackle one of the big emerging issues to face the automotive industry, the so-called data hunger of connected cars. We all know that cars are getting smarter, almost computers on wheels, and when you have computers, you get data and lots of it. But what is all the data from our cars being used for? Who owns it? How is it being collected? And what is the governance and legal framework around this data? To help us understand the issues, I'm joined by Eric Suisa from our telematics team and Petra van der Beek, who is Leesbrand's data protection officer. Welcome, guys, to our first podcast. So let's see how this goes. So maybe, Eric, you're the car expert here. So let's start with you. Can you maybe give us some background on what kinds of data are our vehicles collecting on us? Yeah, so they collect a lot of data. Obviously, they're collecting technical data on the uh, the engine, the way the engine is working, the technical, let's say, content of the vehicle is using. They are collecting location data in many cases. You know, where do you actually use the uh, the car? They collect usage data. How do you use the car? Do you speed a lot or do you uh, drive very carefully? Do you drive it in the city or do you drive it predominantly outside of the city? And as one of the articles, I think, very interesting, uh, in the Financial Times in the Netherlands showed it even collects what uh, radio stations you listen to uh, and what uh, uh, and what phone calls you make. So actually, to be honest, at the moment, some cars can really collect a lot of information about you. Yeah, because that was quite surprising, right? So, yeah. so, I mean, when we saw that article on the front page of the FD, I think we all understood that, you know, the, the cars could collect, you know, how fast you've been going or maybe even GPS data. But one of the things to come out out of the of the article was it could also say who you've been ringing, how long you've been on the phone for, what music even you like to listen to in your in your car. So I mean, it came across pretty Orwellian actually when when we looked at it. So I guess I mean the next the question follows on from that: who is collecting this data and right. and how and for what purpose? Yeah. So who's collecting that data? I I think that it varies. To be honest, if you look at car maker uh, by car maker, some of these car makers will actually be collecting all the information. Some of the car makers actually not. Uh, I think it's it's worth noting that in 2018 in Europe, every car that basically is put on the road needs to have what they call e-call and b-call functionality, emergency call and breakdown call functionality. So when you get into an accident, uh, you know the the authorities are notified. Uh, the fact that legislation led to the fact that car makers suddenly put a device in the vehicle and they and they also thought well if that device can do e-call and b-call maybe it can collect much more information so at a minimum standard all these vehicles will have that functionality all of them throughout all the car makers but some of them will be collecting much more and why do they do it to know how the car is used to use it for a possible uh, improvement of their own product uh, upselling uh, services to uh, their uh, their drivers Possibly it's also a way to learn how the car is used for autonomous driving. I think ultimately to make some money out of it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and and most car makers are, are moving in that direction for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think there are some quite specific interest in used cases from this data, right? So I think one that you were telling me about just when we were having a pre-chat before our podcast recording yep. was about predictive maintenance. Yep. So how does that work with this data? How, how does that happen? Well, the mileage of the car can basically elude you to the fact that you need a maintenance or not. Certain technical information, of course, can give any car owner insight into, well, in four weeks I might need a maintenance job or something is wrong with my vehicle, let's bring it into a, 
So this this predicting when maintenance is happening is of course a very interesting thing for a car maker because they of course own a huge amount of garages in 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 everywhere. Uh, but for a company like Lease Plan, of course, it's also very interesting. In the end, it's our asset, it's our vehicle. We buy it from the car maker, so and we resell it after a few years. Hmm. So we need to make sure the car is in good health. So knowing when the maintenance should take place is a very interesting proposition for a company like Lease Plan, but also for car makers. Yeah, and in some ways, it's already there, right? Because uh, I mean, maybe you told me about your anecdote about driving your Mercedes, exactly. Yeah. Which isn't an is it an EV? Should be an EV? Is it an EV? <laughs> it's a plug-in hybrid. Okay, well yes. done. That's not that's not so bad. So, like, what happened there? So you're driving along, and then yeah. so I I don't have a connected car a contract at the moment with my car. Uh, it's it's four and a half years old uh, with my lease car. And uh, suddenly on Friday, I get an email from Mercedes saying, well, based on your mileage, we see that you need a maintenance job. I have never given them any authority to or authorization to collect that data. I checked the mileage in the email. It was actually spot on with the mileage in the vehicle. Uh, so these car makers are trying, uh, in this case, to make sure that I go to the Mercedes garage yeah. and that they can do the work. So this is one of the reasons why they collect this information and why, they, uh, why they're interested in it and why they want to keep on collecting it and protecting that, that basically, as they usually call it, throve of gold. Hmm. So, I mean, there are benefits to it. Like, So there are clear course, use cases, but it's also clear that you weren't asked about no. this data and that, that can give a slightly... How did you feel when you got that? I was surprised, of course. And, and, and that's also the reason, of course, that in any telematics activity, we're working very closely together with the privacy office and with, the, with lawyers because I don't want our drivers to... You know, when we collect that information, possibly in the future, that our drivers are going to be uh, surprised by this uh, by this fact. Yeah. You know, in the end, if you look at it, um, uh, the, the email that Mercedes sent, in a sense, is 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 okay, is nice because they do make sure that the car is maintained well and that I'm not stuck into a you know in a situation in which my car will malfunction, or God forbid, I get into an accident with my family in the vehicle. So the fact that they're actually using that information to, uh, you know, to, to send me a note telling me that my car needs to be maintained, I, I think it's good. We just need to make sure that you know, the people that actually receive that email uh, know that, we are, that, that the data is collected and that, and that they do that with the data. Maybe another funny thing in the, of that email, by the way, was that um, I, I got the email and I wanted to reply to it, but the uh, email address to reply to was no replies at Mercedes. <laughs> <laughs> so I did oh, find oh. an email address I could actually send them a question to because I wanted to know how they got the information. Great. And then, I mean, we're talking here about you as an individual driver and how you felt, but obviously we're in the fleet management industry. You know, we have large fleet managers looking after thousands of cars. I mean, how are they looking at this connected car revolution? What kind of used cases do they see? But also, what kind of concerns would they have at the moment? How do they look at the whole issue? Well, the use cases for our, our customers, the fleet managers, are, let's say you have a, have a fleet of, of uh, light commercial vehicles, uh, little vans that, that drive around the country. You might want to know how they're used. In the end, you're paying the gasoline for it, uh, if it's not an EV, which, which a large part of our, our fleet is, still is. So they want to make sure the car is used well, so they don't overpay on these kinds of um, uh, costs. They want to see how the car is used because in the end, if they give the car back to us and we see the car has not been used properly, we might actually send them an invoice or we might have a discussion with them. So by knowing uh, how the car is used throughout the lease term, it gives the fleet manager the ability to actually uh, lower the cost of the the vehicle in the end. Mm -hmm. Um, 
they might also use it to optimize their routes. Uh, if you know where your vehicles are, uh, then you might, uh, and, you, and you need them to, to deliver a package from A to B. It could give you insight of where your vehicles are and how they're being used. I think this is the main use case. In, the, in some countries, if you are a business driver, you need to have a logbook of every trip that you take with your business car. If you have data from the vehicle, that goes automatically. You have an app and you can actually see that information in there. And uh, that's not only a, a need for some drivers, but also for fleet managers that need to comply by tax legislation in those countries. So for fleet managers, it's really about uh, optimizing the usage of their fleet, bringing down their total cost of ownership by knowing more about the usage of the vehicle. Yeah. It also, I read somewhere, helps speed up the transition to electric mobility course, as well. Yes, yes. For the same point that you say, well, right? I mean, this is, this is a real use case, to be honest. I discussed recently with one of our entities is, you know, if you know how the car is being used, then you can actually, when the lease contract ends, you can advise what next car to take. And then if you know how, you know, let's say somebody uses the, the car predominantly in cities where there's enough uh, charging facilities, you might, of course, then advise such a customer a specific EV or any, any, any other car. So knowing how the car is used gives us, but also the fleet manager, some insight into how can I optimize my cost? How can I optimize the, 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 the choice of the next vehicle that I need? Clearly a lot of possibilities here, but maybe it's time to bring in Petra, our privacy lawyer, because I guess there are also a lot of concerns as well about this, and we've touched on some of them already. It's probably good to tell everyone that why we're discussing this issue is because together, Petra and I saw this article on the front yeah. page of the Dutch Financial Times all about the data hunger of connected cars. And I rather glibly suggested to you that, oh, are we looking at the next Cambridge Analytica scandal <laughs> in our industry? Leasing has never been so sexy. I mean, I guess the first question to you is, who owns all this data and what, are the, what, are the, what is the governance around it? Well, I think talking about data and, and same goes with, with older, let's say, more vague concepts uh, of, of uh, personal data. I don't think we should uh, approach this from an ownership point of view because personal data is about a specific person. And I don't think we can say that that specific data is owned by someone. You generate data and it's about who has access to data and who is entitled to use it. If you look at that way, there are different parties that may have rights to access certain data. Uh, definitely looking at uh, the OEM or the owner of the car, he has an interest to know uh, how the car is uh, performing, how the car is doing, how it's being used. Same goes the driver in the car. He also has a right to have certain information about his usage of the car. An employer may be entitled to get certain information about how his employees are using the cars that are being provided um, uh, by him as an employer to his employees. So if you look at that aspect, there are a lot of different players in it. Employers, owners, drivers, obviously there the, the interest is, is much more feasible and explainable. I think it gets even more complicated when we look at older players that are mayor around it who are interested in getting data from a marketing point of view. So let's say I'm driving a car, I'm calling in the car, and that signal uh, is telling that I'm uh, stopping a lot of times at Starbucks and Starbucks knows that I like a certain uh, cappuccino. Yeah, obviously, uh, people are interested to market that kind of activities to me to make money out of it or to improve their advertisement strategy. Can you say that they have an interest of getting that data out of my usage of a car and phone, making phone calls in the cars and having that information available for others to pick up and to use it. 
So the further you get from people or parties around it that have data, access to data, the more complicated it gets. I think we should go back to the basis and say, well, listen, who are the players here? What stake is there? And make sure that there are some playing rules around it. And if you look at that, the laws and the regulations and approaches and the trends that you see in the market, it becomes much more about being transparent, being able to explain upfront what is happening in which situation uh, so that everyone knows, okay, this is going on. If you are able to explain what you do in a transparent way, it also gives the stakeholders and the people involved a way to take their accountability. If we know very clearly what the OAM is doing and why, it's also possible to tell the OAM, okay, these are the rules that you need to follow. Same goes for, for owners, for lease companies, for employers. And that, in the end, just gives also the driver a good view. Okay, if I use this car in a certain manner, I need to know or I know that this data is collected about me. And then you can think of the next step. Um, so what, what does that mean? So that, I mean, that is clear, right, in terms of the principle. And I think we could all agree that we need much more explicit consent. We need to understand why the data has been used. We need to ensure you know, that the people who are accessing the data uh, you know, are accessing it for the right reasons. I mean, you mentioned Starbucks, but you could also say, look at a city authority in a busy city, you know, like Amsterdam. Yeah, right. So we just drove through the through the you know the canal belt here, uh, a lot of congestion. Whereas, you know, if a city authority could access a lot of data from connected cars, they could tackle congestion hotspots. So we can see lots of people would want to access the data, but at the moment, who is legally the owner? Even though you think it's a bit of an outdated concept, but I push you on it. Like, who who owns this data? At the moment. Well, I don't think there is one owner. So obviously the person whose data is being collected has a say in it and a, a right to control the data as such that's being collected in a vehicle. So besides uh, personal data, yeah, you could say it's the owner of the car, but the OEM says, no, uh, it's different in, in the money that I spent and the purchase price that I charge you takes into account that I have access to certain data to further improve the quality to use that data for my liability as a car manufacturer. So part of the deal that I offer you is that certain data is still available for me. So again, I don't think there is a way to solve the question about ownership. Yeah. Lawyers always tend to say, well, maybe it's not that relevant question or I'm not giving you a clear yes or no answer. But yeah. this, this is not a matter of ownership but the the sorry but the data might not you know as a term might not be relevant because there are so much different types of data i guess exactly. to answer yeah. that question right yeah, exactly because technical data on how an engine is actually performing might be a very different question well and also a lot of data is generated by applying certain techniques to make their own calculations so and the examples that uh, that Eric, uh, gave it's not about pulling that data out of the car. It's using certain information out of the car to make your own calculations, to apply certain algorithms to give us then information that we need for the purpose that we want to use it for. So definitely, if, if you again talk then about ownership, you could say that information is generated by, by lease plan, by using lease plan algorithms. So that part of the data is ours, but the information that's being provided by the car to allow us to do those calculations may sit with the OEM, may relate to the driver. And what about then, because of all these different parties that need to use the data, I think we wrote together in an op-ed for the Dutch Financial Times, responding to that first article that we saw, 
we floated the idea of a neutral server where all the kind of data from a, a car would go to a, a neutral server that is protected and various authorized parties would be able to tap into the server and take out the data that they needed as long as they you know, conform to the right regulations and the principles that we all agree on. So what do, what do you think about that idea? Do you think that's a goer? Is that going is that going to get going or is this is this Well, I think it is a concept that's being seriously being considered by different parties also to solve the issue about ownership. So if you have a central neutral place where people when they apply certain rules can have access and utilize the data and it makes it easier than when you talk about people that pretend to have ownership about it. If um, the concept of a, a neutral server also solves the issue about uh, jurisdictions, hey, if you buy a car in one country, the, or the car is being manufactured in one country, but is actually being used in another country, also that creates a lot of difficulties. Uh, by setting up a neutral server, the whole jurisdiction issue becomes res- less relevant. Yeah. I also think it will help to create a same level of protection and data security, making sure that the information is protected in a secure way. If it's about the cost, uh, it's a matter of uh, of finding a way. Um, who pays for it. Who yeah. pays for yeah. it to split it, work with license fees, have it included in, in the purchase price of a car. If you buy the car, you want to use the data, it's available there. And I think it, being able to set up and apply a governance is easier if you have it in a central place rather than having to deal with OEMs, manufacturers, yeah. um, leasing companies to drivers. The other element which you also see is that some aspects of the data collection could actually be moved to the vehicle itself. So leave it in the vehicle and have them for certain usage the driver to decide whether he wants to release the data. Yes or no? And if then, to whom? That's a concept to consider as well. But obviously, that only applies to certain data portions rather than to everything that a car generates. Great. You know, we're talking about the data hunger of these connected cars, you know, in terms of the vehicles that we have today. But where do we see this all going in the future? I mean, a few uh, few months ago, I was in San Francisco and we met the head of self-driving cars at Uber. And he said to me, in the future, your industry, fleet management, is going to be uh, really a data, a data management industry because they have a whole self-driving car hub there. They had to lay special cables into the hub to take off all of the data coming off all these vehicles because each you know, autonomous car has hundreds and hundreds of sensors. So in the future, we as lease plan will most likely have to be able to take off this data, optimize it, you know, see if there are any issues. So, you know, given the fact that there's only going to be more data generated from these cars and more possibilities, things we can do with them, how do we see this developing? Uh, I think it goes more into a trend of ethical behavior because it's getting so much complicated. So many data connections, eh? data is collected for uses of a car, to control traffic in the cities, to use uh, public transportation in an efficient way. So there are so many different players at stake and it's not only about the individual anymore. I think the, the, the trend will be that the individual in itself becomes less relevant. It's more about serving the broader purpose rather than that we care whether it's Mr. A, B or C uh, whose data is being collected in a particular car. If you talk about ethics, it's more a matter of developing certain principles 
you see a trend that, for instance, the European Commission is looking at the ethical code for countries even to apply to develop certain principles that if you live up to those, it will help develop a artificial intelligence because that's what we're actually talking about. A strategy that takes those seven ethical elements into account. If you then are able to push that through through the industry, it goes broader than legislation. Yeah. Yeah. And if we go there, it means that we as a lease plan need to think about, okay, what kind of ethical principles are we willing to live up to yeah. and what fits for our strategy and, and where we see our place in, in society? Yeah. It's not easy. No. But it's a trend that you already start slowly see. And I think the privacy legislation may be a good example of that because GDPR, eh, that's the most important privacy legislation now, is basically saying you if, if you collect data, you need to have a good reason for it. Your principle should be that you collect only data what you need and as little as possible and ta- that you are transparent, that you're able to explain to individuals what you do and why. So it doesn't say how to do it. It doesn't say you can do this and you cannot do that. It's also based on certain principles. So I think that is sort of a small heads up already to approaching it from uh, from an ethical point of view in the future, broader than, than personal data. Or a very interesting video on YouTube called The Zero Dollar Car about yeah. an American professor basically saying that in the future, the value of the data is going to surpass basically the value of the vehicle. Yeah. <laughs> and that all the parties that are going to want to use the, the car, actually, if you consent to it, here's your car, drive it for free. Just insane. Uh, it, it used, this used to be a guy, I think the R&D director of GM, I think, uh, really interesting. I think yeah. it's about a 15 minute. Uh, I'll send you through it's really nice so if I listen to the both of you a lot of possibilities here but you know making sure that we can continue to operate in this uh, industry in the connected car world means that we have to be transparent keep ethics in mind and work together with lots of different partners so uh, not just the lease companies or our drivers so I think that that's it we're out of time so Eric pleasure Petra thanks very much for your time it's perfect thank you for our first podcast yeah great So what struck me from that podcast was just how fast the automotive industry is changing. So fast, in fact, that the politicians and the legislation simply can't keep up. Now, that doesn't free us from paying attention to the issue. In fact, just makes it even more important that companies like Leaseplan understand what's happening and do their best to behave as ethically as possible in a very fast-moving environment. That's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed this first delve into the trunk of some of the big issues facing Leaseplan. We'll be back next month with episode two.